Dun, 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 dun. Don't don't do that for this. <laughs> <laughs> but Terminators are just robots in disguise. <laughs> you can't be caught saying that. <laughs> I could destroy this podcast, along with me saying it looks like shit. Autobots transform, <laughs> not you, Bumblebee. Welcome back to more and less than meets the eye. This is a Transformers podcast where we have the distinct pleasure of watching the Michael Bay live-action Transformers movies and also reading the James Roberts more than meets the eye comic books. Unfortunately, this episode will be the former as we watch 2007's Transformers. My name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by the person who suggested we do this, Ben Phillips. Ben, how's it going? I can hear like the sound of audiences like cheering of like yes someone else is jumping into the Bay Formers discourse <laughs> at last <laughs> the well that we have been drinking from was beginning to run dry but people have come with new lifeblood to sustain and us on the, Bay Formers. You know what the you know what the sad thing is what? is that like I would really want to come into this and be like I am Bay pilled <laughs> these movies are good actually like like, because there are people out there, people I I know, people I've spoken to, who are like Michael Bay, is one of the great action auteurs mm-hmm. of the last twenty years. Like, Ambulance isn't just like one of the best movies of of twenty twenty two. It is like a victory run for one of our great action cinematographers. Fuck you, Russo brothers. <laughs> You've destroyed visually interesting movies and stuff like that. And I will concede, the fact that Gray Man and ambulance come out in the same year and they both have like a preponderance of drone footage michael <laughs> bay like bodies them into the dirt and like i i do think we've kind of like come to the realization that the russo brothers were utilizing their abilities as tv directors to guide the marvel cinematic universe rather than offering a distinct visual sensibility or or anything on that level um they could juggle a lot of balls and coordinate a lot of names on call sheets and Yes, all and make that. a movie. Make a movie that works at the end of all of that. Yeah, but Michael Bay, it does not make these movies good. It does not make them a template for which modern action blockbusters should be following. And I'm kind of glad that they didn't like because the MCU comes about like a year after this. Michael Bay never really got to become like the dominant visual force of cinema. I mean. This movie sure does look like movies looked for a good five, eight, ten years. <laughs> sure, but I feel like I feel like what happened was it was kind of like the the three pronged attack of this movie comes out in two thousand seven uh-huh. uh, that we're discussing today. Two thousand seven's Transformers, directed by Michael Bay, written or written by Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman, with a story by those two, and then John Rogers comes out in two thousand seven. But what also happens at the time is kind of like I think the three templates for all action blockbuster filmmaking of Bourne Ultimatum, Iron Man and The Dark Knight. And I think because those three happen in such close proximity that to this, this movie never really got to like get its claws into like like what we think of as blockbuster filming beyond obviously the incorporation of intense special effects with like live action things, which I feel mm. like this this movie does do better yeah. than a lot of other movies of the time. I think it's fair to say like that is what the calling card for this franchise is is that interaction between a real car and Optimus Prime like 
ice skating through a bus. <laughs> I kind of yeah. When these robots show up an hour into the movie, I believe that they are talking to them in that alleyway. <laughs> but that does not mean <laughs> this isn't a piece of trash, and this is the good one. <laughs> Of the five, and then we are going to do Bumblebee. We're including it, even though Bay didn't do it, because it's it is continuing the continuity, the the vague visual style, the you know, it, it is part of it, and it's produced by Michael Bay, who I'm not sure so. probably even <laughs> contributed in any way. But yeah, and and obviously it is the movie that is the prequel to Rise, Rise of, of the Beasts, Beast, which. We will also, in theory, be doing hot damn. Like you I, just saw a trailer for that one as well today. I did. I saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Can we talk about that instead? <laughs> next, next year. Next year. Yeah, it might be the only thing we talk about. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I, I remember. I remember this coming out. I remember the trailer being like, "Oh my god, they're going to do fucking big ass, expensive Transformers movies that are like live action," and people were really excited, and they had every right to be. And I remember this doing decently and people being like yeah that was fun i'd watch i'd watch another one of those and then there are five of them and they're the worst things <laughs> like and like i know this is the one that people say is is the good one of these but it's still so bad like i i said to you like they're cooking for about 20 minutes even with them fetishistically fucking shooting jets and helicopters and military bases and stuff even with that first like 20 25 minutes They've got something. And then it just... With every ten minutes that passes after that, it is just... Like, more and more holes are in the bow. And it's just sinking so fast. Yeah, it's... I, I do think this is very genuinely, like, an example of too many cooks in the kitchen who are offering too many different ideas. Where, like, you read the initial pitch for this movie, which was what John Rogers did, which was supposed to be like a disaster movie told from human beings point of views like watching the transformers kind of like wreck yep. wreak havoc and i'm like I like okay yeah that, that's interesting like if you're not going to put the transformers front and center of this better to have it be like a godzilla type thing yeah godzilla one where like they tease you with the godzilla action and it rules or it almost rules godzilla another one that is fucking cooking for a while and then starts to lose steam our first transformer in the movie is the blackout <laughs> sometimes called in some corners of the internet blackout who turns from a fucking chopper into a transformer and just d lays waste to a military base i think this is the best handling of a transformer that michael bay does but only as like our first contact with them because mm. like he is treated like a fucking unstoppable horror movie monster that they can do nothing to hurt and it's like cool that works you then have to build on that and have ones with personalities and stuff. And that's and that that's where I think like the too many cooks come in because we all know that Michael Bay has like a hard on for military vehicles and stuff like that. Like he <laughs> he is one of the king propagators of the whole idea of like the the U.S. military complex mm -hmm. having a stranglehold on on U.S. cinema in terms of like if you want to use this stuff you are free to but obviously the military have to kind of like look over the script and make sure you're not reflecting them in a bad light mm -hmm. and obviously this movie kind of gets away with this saying like well there's good hero soldiers who are willing yeah. to take down the bad guys and like if there is any shady dealings going on it's a a, a structure of government that doesn't actually exist in the real world and mm -hmm. From what I've read, that that is one hundred percent Michael Bay going like this shit's for the kid babies. I don't want to deal with a with a horny high school boy. I want to deal with like some strapping men out in out in the 
every time I hear more quotes and 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 like anecdotes about this, I am I cannot help but ask, why did you choose to sign on to this? Because you told me last night that he said he doesn't. He thinks that robots talking are silly. And it's like, what movie are you making? Well, and I then, like, think... I'm not, I don't care about horny teenage boy. Why have you, <laughs> why does the whole fucking thing revolve around a horny teenage boy then? Like, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's the one that said the robots look dumb if they started talking. I right. have to assume that's a, that's an exec, but okay. like, that is a quote from someone involved in this movie who was like, we can't have the robots speak because that would look dumb. Right. And you're like, that's, 80% of the juice. Yeah, the like, show. we're going to make a Bond movie, but we don't like spies or world travel or gadgets. Or misogyny. <laughs> like, or mis- well, I mean, you know, if someone said that, I'd be fine with it. But, <laughs> you know, like, what are you making here? <laughs> no one made you make a Transformers movie. And, and ultimately, the thing of this movie that works the best is Teenage Boy finds Creature and like befriends it is like the the cornerstone of this movie that works and i have to assume that's where spielberg is like focusing most of his notes yeah on this movie it's et but it turned you know if et were fucking sick and not a weird (laughs) fucking leather monster i think when the first teaser trailer for this movie is announced it really is like it's the mars rover stuff right like it's the mars rover stuff but then i think it does cut to like a a steven spielberg production directed by michael bay transformers and it's like you're coasting on those three names of yeah. Here is the best action sit the best blockbuster filmmaker of all time, most yeah. likely. The guy who has directed a, a bunch of well seen, if not well liked, blockbusters over kind of the last ten years, and a brand name of a cartoon from the nineteen eighties. Yeah. And that is what this movie is coasting on, and all three of those things are wanting to do different versions of this story and the only one that works is the one that comes from a good filmmaker that isn't coming from a a man who has made some good films in his time but is definitely not someone i would go to as like a consistent like hits or home runs in michael bay or a toy commercial from the 1980s (laughs) like i'm not too good for bad boys okay that's a fun time (laughs) Um, I have a weird soft spot for Armageddon. It, it's bad, but I like how it's bad. This has a lot of the same energy. Like, the, the like, Peter Stormare of it all, of Armageddon, is, is alive in Anthony Anderson and the bumbling humans of this movie. <laughs> like, you can feel that, that ragtag crew of people who sound like they're improvising, because good God, who would write this dialogue down? <laughs> um, like, that's all there. And then, yeah, as you say, like, the, 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 the juice, the source is like boy and alien friend, which you know somebody's going to pick up off the off the the scraps of of this franchise as it just implodes further and further. Make a whole fucking movie out of just that, and oh hey, it's the best one to to start with that that sequence where where blackout who. By the by, third in command of the Decepticons in this movie. <laughs> Nothing in the text supports that, but he is. Don't worry about it. Never does speaks. Blackout, yeah, Blackout doesn't have a voice, does Blackout he? Blackout doesn't speak. And then to go from that to, hey, everyone likes Even Stevens and Holes, and, and he was in iRobot for a minute. Shia LaBeouf's just going to talk fast at you for a couple of minutes. That's fine. And then to go to Bernie Mac and the used car sales lot and everything, and like, you're just letting Bernie Mac be Bernie Mac for a few minutes. And something I said to you was like, they will get bigger names than they have here, but this feels so much more smartly cast. Like they've picked some really nice, like character actors and and small time names that complement each other. Like Kevin Dunn and, and Bernie Mac talking to each other 
is actually quite fun in a way that it won't be when like they're going to get Daniel Tucci to turn up and fucking give a hand job to a Beats pill and stuff like that in a later movie. <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess that's the thing is like because obviously they, as they go on, they get like Wolfberg is the lead, Tucci is like a recurring <laughs> character, and two of them playing Kelsey. Merlin in one. Yeah. John Malkovich, Kelsey Grammer's in one of them. Yeah. yeah. Titus Welliver, like Anthony Hopkins, like yep. Michael Bay keeps on getting people to be in these movies. I have to wonder how much of that is like Hasbro or Paramount is willing to like wheel over like a fucking dump truck of money. Because I mean, there is a quote from one of the producers that's like, every other movie that came out summer of two thousand seven, which is like Shrek the Third and Spider Man Three and Pirates of the Caribbean Three, like a, a notoriously really bad summer for. Yeah. <laughs> for blockbuster filmmaking for third movies in franchises yeah. like this is not and and the one of those i, I will defend spider-man 3 i will defend parts of the caribbean 3 they're messy they don't really work but they are ambitious kind of like swings for the fences and i, I appreciate those mm-hmm. um but they were all made for kind of 300 million dollars <laughs> sure were. and this movie is half of the budget yeah of those, and I have to assume part of that is because they probably are being more economic in terms of the names they're getting for this movie. Because as you mm-hmm. say, like, they're all character actors, and then a lot of the juice is coming from practical things that Michael Bay has just kind of convinced the military to, to loan them for a yeah, bit. Yeah, they're borrowing vehicles from General Motors. They're borrowing vehicles from the military, so that keeps costs down. Nobody here, like your second build actor, is fucking Tyrese, like. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Anthony Anderson before he blows up, Justin Mel before he, I don't know if he ever blew up, but I guess he got more famous than this at some point. Uh, Megan Fox, you know, you're, I don't know if he discovered her, but like certainly the first time the mainstream caught eyes of, uh, you know, set eyes on her as, as Michael Bay, uh, I fucks her with the camera. John Voight is slipping in here, like, you know, I'm old now, they won't give me proper roles, I'll turn up for something like this. Because that's, that's the thing, is, like, you were asking, like, what is the pitch on this movie where this is the cast? And I was like, well, I think they are... <laughs> like, because you're like, you have the Transformers, why are the Transformers not the selling point? And it really is, like, such a confusing mm-hmm. movie, where, like, all the promotion is kind of, like, teasing out what the Transformers look like, what they yeah. do. Like, the, the main poster for this movie is, like, the the middle distance view of like Shia LaBeouf and, and Megan Fox. And then you've got the disembodied heads of, of Optimus, Bumblebee and Megatron, yeah. like staring front ahead and all the rest of it. All looking like shit. Um... All looking terrible. Like if you did not know that those, what those three characters were, like if you prime, if I'll was... almost give you, but those other two just look like fucking shit. If someone fell into a coma in like 1987 <laughs> and you, <laughs> 30 years, no, 20 years later, and we're like, right, here's a poster for Transformers. And they're like, oh, those are new characters then that they're introducing in this movie. There's the tiniest bit of yellow on the top of Bumblebee's head yeah. on this poster. Yeah, I mean, we'll but, get into that a whole like, bunch. <laughs> they sell the advertising on the idea of like what the Transformers are going to look like, but it feels like the only thing that anyone in the entire conception of this franchise is interested in is the humans. And they're like, terrified that people won't connect to the robots so i mean i assume it's they want to cut down on how much cgi they need to use so you fill as much time as you can with humans and normal ass vehicles that haven't transformed and then you give your vfx team as much lead time as you can for like the big transformation at the one hour mark and then the big 30 minute fight to end the movie but and i i understand that but like there are there are five of these things by bay and 
I've seen three and a half of them, and like at no point does he give a fuck about the Transformers. And I'm not asking him to like, you know, he was a I don't know how old he was was when he made this, but he's a normal middle aged man making a movie on a children's franchise that he clearly had no affinity for. I'm not asking him to like inhale every fucking episode and become an expert, but like somebody must be able to relay to you who these people are in a way where you can be like, cool, I understand that. Here are some characters, here are some stories I want to tell. And I know that's coming from writing, not directing. And he doesn't, but (sighs) they're just not important. Like two of them have any color in them whatsoever. And they're the two that are the most popular. Like, and well, the way I phrase it to you is like two of these Optimus Prime and Bumblebee kids go fucking crazy for, and they have to be in everything front and center. They are the two that have colour in them, while all the others are basically grey. One has a hook, and we'll get into all of that in a, in a second, and the other one gets to talk a lot. You gave neither of that to anyone else, and surprisingly, no one cares about any of them. But like the hook for Bumblebee is, goes hand-in-hand in, hand in what you're talking about with like the promotion of the movie, because obviously that first teaser is the Mars Rover stuff, but I, I vividly remember the trailer, and they put all this Bernie Mac stuff in there, and they're really high... You know, he's, he's giving these lines that are like... You know, when you write them, you know they're going in the trailer. Like, driver doesn't choose the car, car drew, chooses the driver and all of that. And, like, they're hyping up, like, oh, he just happened to pick up Bumblebee from a used car dealership. That's such a good hook. And it is. <laughs> and they'll make a whole movie out of it later. But, yeah, like, again, this is the section from the from the opening narration, which says a whole lot and means nothing and is introducing, <laughs> like, three new concepts that have got nothing to do with Transformers. That's fine to the military stuff where they are treating Blackout like Godzilla, um, like a monster, to Spike... Yeah, I'm going to keep trying to call him Spike. He's not Spike. <laughs> He's Sam Witwicky. To them, like, acquiring the car and then the car trying to help him get the girl. It's like, okay, I see somebody's vision for this movie and it's actually decent. <laughs> and then it will just completely come off the rail. <laughs> yeah, because what happens is is every single time they cut to a new location or a new establishing thing, they have to introduce about three new characters <laughs> for all of those. So every location has two two characters too many to carry it. Well, they all come in pairs, like you said. Yeah, every character has a double, and it's bizarre. So by the time the entire cast comes together, it's a group of like ten people, and you're like, why is this ten people? Why is this not five? And you keep on, again, to keep going back to the development of this movie, like one of the original pitches was like let's have about 10 Autobots and like 10 Decepticons and then they cut that down to 4 and like mm-hmm. right that sounds manageable as a number and then at some point after they got it down to like the 8 robots that we were going to care about in this movie they were like we need to cut all the dialogue and that's presumably when you have to then give the weight of everything over to the human characters and if you're already coming in with a with a kind of like a high school kid falls into like a government plot and then you add the military on top of that mm-hmm. and it you're just like don't forget what? the nerds don't forget the nerds i mean that's thing i don't know when the nerds factor into this i have to imagine the nerds came in at some other point but like the nerds are just there for exposition yeah like th- there's a reason why or like i think basically every other facet of this movie barring john voight like everyone else kind of comes back for the next one don't they um, like like section seven is a major them, element yeah. of the of the next one. Josh Dumel, Tyrese are like in all three. His parents are in all three. Megan Fox is back. It really is the nerds and John Voight who get shepherded off, and it's like, because right. that's just like an element too many. And somebody clearly noticed that 
before they proceeded to write one of the worst movies of all time. <laughs> you know, they, they started in a good place and then and then just failed. Yeah, like because I mean, we just we just haphazardly get Optimus talking about this all spark, this cube. It's on Earth. We now have reason. You know, we've all been basically signaled to Earth to look for it. And then we're going to learn over the course of the movie that Megatron came to Earth, found it, got frozen in the Arctic. <laughs> the government found him and brought him and bought and built the Hoover Dam around him. And now for some reason the Decepticons know he's on Earth but not where. So they are constantly trying to hack into military bases, which is our first scene um, where we have uh, Blackout and Scorponok, like trying to hack them and then they kill the, the, the Link and then... We're bringing in these nerds to to analyze this signal. Um, you know, oh, what are these things? And then obviously the only one that's hot is allowed to. <laughs> like they're all just fucking stumped, and and fucking Rachel Taylor is like, oh, I think I know what it is. And it's like, oh, of course you do. You're the pretty one. You can stay in the movie. I'll go get Anthony Anderson, and he'll do some sideshow bullshit. Some of the biggest overacting you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> he knows also, what Michael Bay likes. He is he is like the only person I feel like who actually understands. Yes. The tone that this... Like, if everyone was operating on Anderson's level, this movie could have the tone of what it needs. But, like, again, I, not to armchair diagnose someone, but it really does feel like Michael Bay has, like, ADHD tendencies in mm-hmm. terms of, like, how he does stuff. And, like, one of the the texts I sent you last night was, like, the scene where, like... So, obviously, once, once the army stuff has kind of, like, got into action and we actually get to settle into a bit of a teen movie, mm-hmm. like, coming-of-age story groove, and you're meeting Sam, and he's, again, his first dialogue is all exposition about his grandfather and, like, look, I've brought these glasses in and I'm planning on selling them so I can Fucking afford glasses. my car. Somebody really came up with that and is so attached to that as a plot point. <laughs> but then, like the scene where he goes to hang out with like some some cool kids at school and he brings his like dopey friend and his dopey friend like the moment they get there is like this is a tree i'm gonna climb this tree the the most superfluous element that you could possibly add to this scene like fair enough fucking go for it but like it adds nothing other than for sam to kind of go like oh you dork why'd you climb the tree and it's like (laughs) That on would... the one hand, nobody would ever do that. On the other hand, teenagers would absolutely fucking do the dumbest thing you could think of. So I'm, I'm sort of torn on it. But I, yeah, I'm torn he does off. he does love people that are just so just not of this world, and like he loves people who are screaming everything they're th- thinking and doing all the time. That thing is, I think my main issue with Bay as yeah. a director is that there really is no quiet moments and if i'm in a mood for that then maybe it's more enjoyable but it really does feel like you go into this movie and you are being yelled at for kind of two and a half hours yeah loud noises the movie absolutely but even in bits like you you've just got the stuff where like when you think it could be quiet for a second like him and his like his dad like teasing him by going to the porsche garage and then like <laughs> there's going... a bit they drive through the lot of the porsche <laughs> And then go to Bernie Mac's fucking discount warehouse. Which again, like, there's cute stuff in this where you can tell people involved in this movie like understand yeah. what the fans want and like oh, you said, like the 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 bug next to the Camaro. yeah exactly yeah, like Bumblebee, yeah. Bumblebee's initially like he's a '77 Camaro and then next to them is a VW Bug, which is obviously what Bumblebee was in the in the 1980s cartoon. Yeah. But it's like it's not even like that car is Bumblebee, and then that car copies a Camaro to make Sam look at him, which I think would have been yep. cuter. Yeah, 
like if Bumblebee started as a as a VW bug, it's, and then... it's that like this isn't your your grandfather's Bumblebee, you know? Yeah, <laughs> it has that Sonic the Hedgehog energy of like, oh no, this one's a Camaro. Kids love Camaros, right? Like, not really. <laughs> like, never mind. The thing where Bumblebee like shatters <laughs> all of the other cars to make sure that they buy him. It makes a scene. I want to be the car that you buy. Right. Buy me. But like, is the implication here? That B knows that Sam has the glasses and can lead them. I, I, this is this is. Or the does he just take a fucking shine to him? This and... is the thing where I'm like, I don't understand how any single Autobot or Decepticon in this movie is aware of any other piece of information. <laughs> yeah, because like, we... like that is the opening narration. Like we have reason to come to Earth, and like obviously they'll end up in a writing themselves into the corner of like they all arrive on Earth. And then they'll make movies set decades earlier where they're already on Earth. But that they didn't know that at the time. That's fine. But they all sort of are arriving based on nothing. Like there's no generic scene where like we're in we're in the halls of a government facility and like Megatron like briefly gives out a signal and they're like, Oh, what was that? Oh, it's nothing, it's gone now. And then they all pick that up and start coming. Like there's nothing like that. They just yeah. all rock up on Earth. It, it really is. Like, for a movie with as much exposition of this, where the like, character's entire job is to explain who people are, where they are, what happened like, 20, 30 years in the past, mm. it, there is nothing for kind of like to latch onto in terms of like, the actual mechanics of how anything is actually initiated. It is just yeah. Megatron was here 100 years ago. He had the, the Allspark or the Matrix, or which, which one is it? No, we got he's... no Matrix in these movies. It's all okay. Allspark. A thing they created and actually has made its way into a surprising amount of Transformers fiction because, as we said on Episode Zero, for better or worse, these things did have a giant impact on the ongoing viability of Transformers as a franchise. So like, yeah, because... elements are going to make their way in. Bumblebee is going to talk via the radio. The AllSpark is going to come in. Stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, like that's the thing. So we're, we're like, to, to, to contextualise this, we're coming into this where like this is, as you confirmed for me yesterday, the first movie in which Bumblebee does not have a voice. Yeah. Which obviously then gets into other, other pieces of the franchise. The IDW comics have started about three years, two, two three years before this movie has dropped. Mm-hmm. And are doing a kind of riff on the 1980s comic book run, essentially, where like the the robots are really in disguise. It's all the subterfuge, and if there is human stuff, only very few humans know kind of like who is dealing with them. Yeah. And then when this movie comes out and is a hit, they blow up the storyline that they've been producing so far in the comics, and then do like a year long a comic arc, essentially, where the the Decepticons conquer Earth. Yep. And I have to assume that is 100% coming off the fact that like someone at Hasbro, someone at IDW is like, we cannot have these two tonally clashing things existing at the same time. Like We need to have a through line between this. And obviously these movies are not the Decepticons have like taken over Earth, but they are a little bit more flippant in their there are uh, more level of, them, of destruction. There are more of them there before, like Bumblebee is already there, but then you've got like between Blackout and Scorpion Arc, and then you've also got Barricade driving around as a cop car, and Frenzy, the fucking hideous... Best character in the movie. <sighs> God, he's so 
pointy and just making I'm a weird little CGI guy noises and yeah, you know. he's, he's a CD player. He's a phone. Like yeah. he's great. one of Soundwave's cassettes, but Soundwave isn't in this movie, so yeah. I don't remember what I was saying. But yeah, no, like, no, they're, yes. they're doing we, shit, and yeah, then like we were like confused about how they got the signal to come yeah. to Earth, and like it obviously doesn't Bumble- matter. it no. simply doesn't matter. Bumblebee has already tracked down Sam. With or no has help. he? Or has he? <laughs> because he's so attached to him so quickly. He's like, you must buy me. And also, I'm going to take you from zero to 100 with Michaela. And then I'm going to stalk you a bit. And then I'm going to take you to meet Optimus. <laughs> like, I think you've got to pick a lane. Like, You either have to definitively come down on the side of B knows who he is and is scouting him. Or B just takes to him because he likes him. And like, there's nothing that happens that would make him... Yeah, and it's the ultimate example of like a coincidence yeah exactly so yeah you know you've got frenzy still fucking around at like air force one we've got a not president asking for does he ask for ding-dongs or ho-hos or something <laughs> i i i can't pay attention to all the college <laughs> like placement in this movie i just oh yeah <laughs> i just can't i have to let it like breeze over me yeah. i mean I, we we have to talk about megan fox like before Frenzy's little thing, like, this is where we have the fucking, you know, he, he gives her a lift and then it breaks down and she's trying to fix the hood and, like, Michael Bay is like, right, tight shot on her stomach, please. And I was like, come, like, stop. <laughs> and, like, I think there are pockets of this movie where she's, like, okay. And then there are parts where she is, like, a husk devoid of any humanity. <laughs> and I assume that's because of the utter disinterest in writing her or anything like that. You see... She is hot girl who no car. Mm-hmm. That's so hot, man. It um, is so hot. But not all boys appreciate that. Uh-huh. He does, though. He, he does. sees something different about her. Yeah. If She just if doesn't he... know why she's so attracted to meatheads. She wishes she could be into nerds like you, audience. Um... That bit where she's in the car and goes, like, oh, yeah, if I show up in front of this guy. And to be honest, probably actually kind of accurate. Like, if a girl were to actually know more than a guy about cars, it probably would end up in that situation of them being like, mm-hmm. the fuck are you doing kind of thing. Yeah. It is just like the nerd wish fulfillment of being like, but because you're the nice guy, yeah, you too could have yourself the one girl in school who knows how to fix a car. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we, we have the, the fucking... It's basically don't call me babe, you know, kind of thing. Okay, I I have a question about sure. transformer physiology. Oh god, I, so, I don't know how to answer. Just to okay. immediately give you the answer, but no. Go so ahead. so in the comics, yes. like I mean, obviously there's all kinds of origins of like how you build a transformer and like their proto forms that you put a spark into and mm. all kinds of other different things. And then sure. yeah, and then at some point they have a form that they're given on Cybertron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A place that is not. I don't know if Cybertron is said out loud in this movie. <laughs> I think they say our planet, but anyway, yeah. But yeah, so like they, they transform they... on on Cybertron as well. Yes. Yes, but they don't scan a vehicle that they find around. They're kind of no. like preordained with a a form, and obviously, yeah. like we will get into this. Oh, in will we ever? Somebody's like, hmm, that's interesting that they have like a predestined vehicle which suggests a function. Yeah, they look like they don't look like Earth cars. They look like alien cars. So like the wheels don't have tires on them, and there's like not really windows and stuff like that. And then when they come to Earth, they modify those alternate forms to blend in better. As I understand it, well, I don't know. In 
in certain Transformers properties, it kind of comes across as at any time they can change what they look. They can change their alt mode to basically anything within reason. So like Bumblebee could, I guess he could be a motorbike if he wanted to be. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, is there like a limit on like shape and size of what they can do? Because obviously yeah. you've got like we are reading comics in the background and uh-huh. we've just gone past a period of time where Megatron is a gun <laughs> for a minute. And then... So Megatron was originally a Wolfer PPK, I think, uh, in the cartoon. So he shrunk down into a gun and one of his helpers fired him. Somebody one day was like, that's super fucking dumb. <laughs> so he has generally been tanks since then. Because he's got the big turret on his on his back shoulder. He's famous for his very large gun. But then he's he's a jet in this movie, which I have to assume is why he becomes a jet in the comics for a bit, and then is back to being a tank. And Yeah, so in yeah. the comics he is like completely destroyed. They like destroy Megatron in a fight and <laughs> they dispose of his old body. But they turn, turn that it old... into a bunch of guns. <laughs> which they supply to fucking third world country. <laughs> To whip up a frenzy of people with Cybertronian guns. Yes. That Cybertr- um, and, and Megatron can talk to anyone wielding those guns and be like, you should just fucking kill everybody. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, Megatron has become like a stealth jet. Yes, an invincible stealth jet. And I have to assume that comes from, in this movie, he is a jet. Yeah. When so, you have Starscream right there with no character whatsoever, other than he's a jet, and then you make Megatron also a jet. Yes. Uh, but anyway, the, <laughs> Sorry. the question I have on the physiology yes. is obviously at one point in this movie, B upgrades Michaela, from a, Mika- oh. no no Michaela goes to look at what's wrong with the Chevrolet's engine. Oh, and he's got like a fucking space age engine. <laughs> yes, but like, would is the Cybertronian scanning enough to know that that like cars have bonnets, or would you like lift this up and just find Bumblebee's head? Like, why would he have an engine? Why would he have um, the ability to actually have like a hinged bonnet? I think there are versions where like if you ripped this panel off, their face would be there, and I think there are versions where they basically magically turn into a one-to-one car. Yeah, and like, <laughs> it's the implication that that engine is always a part of him and like him assimilating the form of the Chevy doesn't bring with it the engine but also he keeps his existing and are we saying that they have engines instead of hearts in this world yeah and that's the thing is like she she looks at it and goes like and recognizable she goes like wow this looks futuristic but doesn't go like that not like any engine i've ever no, seen no it's just a fancy existing engine it's not like what the fuck is this <laughs> like deeply strange um and yeah b is is playing romantic music and and you know who's gonna drive you home and then he's like i'm gonna drive her home it's like okay i see somebody wrote this out was very excited you nailed it you put it in trailers it's all good stuff and then b gets so fucking horny (laughs) and is playing like sexual healing and all kinds of shit and and michaela is so creeped out she's willing to walk home (laughs) but gets back in the car and we have our fucking do you think i'm shallow like uh, no no do you think these two have chemistry? If we're going to talk about the humans, I, no. I, I, yeah, I do not buy that these two have chemistry. I think they play off each other decently, especially as like you introduce Sector Seven and like they're both being like glib to them. I think they're good at that stuff, but I don't buy them as being horny for each other. I, I don't even buy him being horny for her, even though like they wrote her to just be a fucking sex bomb, and he's just the horniest teenager. I think that's that's kind of the thing with Shia LaBeouf, because obviously. We all know now mm-hmm. he is 
more than more than a little troubled. Um, yes. I think is the fair thing to say, and obviously some of that is is stemming from uh, like the being forced into like child actordom like from a very young age. Yep. Other bits are probably to do with kind of like substance abuse and and just anger, just just anger, just anger yeah. issues in general and stuff like that. And obviously there's been a whole load of stuff in the press and like he he almost made a comeback kind of four years ago and then completely yes. stuff happened and exactly yeah, it's gone again. Um, but that, like. that thing is, I feel like he did realize after he got free from the transformers machine that he is if he is going to play weird and horny you have to really dine up dine up the kind of like the weird and a little bit kind of like creepy aspects like <laughs> yeah. i think i think he really does nail that where you've got this run now where he's the lead of these three movies he's he's going to be the lead in or the co-lead of indiana jones 4 yeah and then after that, like his time in Hollywood is done, and he's off doing things like *Nymphomaniac* and *American Honey* and *Fury* and stuff like that, where like all the all the stuff from set is like this guy's like not okay, yeah. but it is driving him to kind of like better find what his artistic persona is. And he's renting uh, cinema screens out and showing his own movies and laughing at them for 24 hours and yeah, doing like, weird he's doing, shit. He's, he's doing all of this stuff and it's like, it's very obvious that like, this is boring to him. Oh yeah. And like, how could it not be? Like, <laughs> I admire anyone who can get a half decent line reading out of giant franchise stuff. I, I truly do. Like, for as bad as most of this shit is, most of the actors are like, doing commendable work for the circumstances i think that's why bay or why like whoever has decided to make these casting decisions keeps on going to the well of kind of consummate professionals yeah like like kevin dunn is like exactly the kind of actor you want playing your dad in the movie where like they're not a big star but you know they're gonna they've got enough screen presence that they'll be able to like carry this he can keep a scene you know if you need it to run five seconds longer he can give you improv that isn't like oh look i'm improving like you know he's a, he's a pro and i guess that's why they give inexplicably the parents like, the last lines of the movie yeah and that's the thing is because he keeps on alternating really between sitcom actors and yeah. and kind of like consummate character actors it's like we're going to have Anthony Anderson and we're going to have John Voight. We're going to have John Turturro and we're going to have uh, like Ken Jeong. Like, like we're going to keep on yeah. ping-pong between these two things because that's kind of the only people who have the energy to either sell the stuff in this movie to make it feel like it's real and B, keep you entertained when the movie is lagging because you realise that like what should have the juice in this movie, namely the giant fucking robots that become cars and, and jets and all the rest of it, have no personality whatsoever. Yeah. And and it only becomes increasingly apparent where, like, at, at this point, like, Bumblebee and... Like, the movie's been cooking. You've got Bumblebee, you've yeah. got Sam, you've got Michaela, and then Bumblebee sneaks off in the middle of the night to go have a fight with Barricade. The cop car, yeah. It's kind of the the second big action piece of the movie because like we have been cutting back and forth with the soldiers like struggling to overcome uh, blackout. Yeah, one of them like got blackout on camera, so Scorpionok is stalking them to try and kill them. They do, I think, a pretty bad, really long action scene of like fifty soldiers versus Scorpionok, and they don't even kill it. It just sort of 
scurries away but it's also one of those patented like you watch it and you're like oh this is like the 50 feet worth barrier where like we've like cordoned it off (laughs) so we can start off loads of explosions because it's so conveniently laid out with like oh look these convenient ruins in the middle of east that like are just like cover and all the rest of it and is that is that the biggest thing from this movie like it influences decades worth of video game cover systems Yeah, I mean, you can see the bones of when they wanted this to be a G.I. Joe movie in the Middle East kind of thing and then pivoted hard away from it because of the war on terror and everything. Yeah. And... But yeah, this this fight with Barricade. Yeah. Is, like, obviously this is like the first proper introduction of Sam and Michaela to the, the robots because obviously Sam, like... Yeah. He's made to look crazy because he's like, my car stole itself and then came back and like, oh, we get like racially charged dialogue where a cop is like, you're looking at my piece, fiddy scent and stuff like, like just dating it so hard. And then B comes and scoops them up and yeah, they fight Barricade and Barricade speaks the first line of any of the Transformers at 50 minutes into the movie. I mean, unless you count Frenzy's little jittering. But he yells at him, are you, like, what is it, like, ladies man 3167, you know, <laughs> bunch of numbers. Jess Harnell just fucking screaming <laughs> as, as an evil cop car. And then that gives way to, like, oh, look, here they all are, one hour into the movie, Optimus and his fun pals show up and all transform and they get, like, 50 extra steps to the transformation that they will never do again. Um. Oh yeah, like when the movie's like they pan around and you see all of Optimus's and then the camera finishes Optimus's and then they're still all the other Autobots are still like finishing their transformations. There's just and then there's just extra things happening, like stuff is happening on their like legs and sides of their heads that like normally they'll just turn and it's just that's it. And just every time it's someone's first one, they just get all these extra stages. So um, I want to I want to talk about the toys. Yeah. Now. Okay. Just because obviously this is a huge part of this franchise. Uh-huh. And the part of this franchise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the reason why this franchise exists is is people from Hasbro going to a toy fair in Japan, finding two independent yeah. sets of these toys and basically going like let's make a cartoon. I think somebody so- recently said given they're from two different toy lines, Optimus Prime and Megatron actually go together exceptionally well as like yeah, yeah, yeah. leaders of the opposite side. But yeah. Sorry, go on. So, when this movie comes out, obviously the 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 the, the fandom refers to it as Generation 1 or G1 yes. is the the designs that everyone is aware of the like Holy whenever Grail. You- like that is what this movie is pulling from in terms of like characters, if not designs, because obviously the designs are all like spiky. We need to look like adults and stuff like that. But when <sighs> when the opening of Bumblebee is the scene on Cybertron and everyone's like blocky cars and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like that is the G one designs. And, and everyone like, talks about those those five minutes, and we don't know what Transformers one is going to look like. Um, like, is it going to be the first five minutes of Bumblebee for 90 minutes? Is it going to be a more stylized Spider-Verse-esque, like, cartoon-ass cartoon? We don't know, but everyone, you know, it's yeah. amazing what even five minutes of those designs do compared to a decade of these. And I, some people like them. I, I've always thought they look like fucking shit. Like, in their, in their effort to make them look real and, like, you know, how would this truck turn into a robot? You lose something, and they're just so over-designed and pointy and grey. And but that's the thing is, I feel like the toys are built from a point of view of how do we make this semi-truck into a robot? How do we make the VW Beetle into a 
how do you make a toy out of this? Yeah. Like well, I think even even when the toys are released, like they they still transform in the way that the G1 toys do. They've just now got like additional spikes on them and stuff yeah. like that. There's none of the like intricate kind of like gears shifting and like ar- yeah. arms turning around like to make a toy out of this. And there's a reason why these have not replaced the G1 toys in any way shape or form. If they're yeah. releasing Optimus now, it still is a G1 design. It is not yeah. a movie accurate one. I think even like Beast Wars, where the toy line didn't really bang, I think even that was led by let's translate how the toy changes into something that looks a bit more fluid in the cartoon, as as the old cartoon was, where the toys existed and we just have to replicate them in animation and you can just take some shortcuts and artistic liberties and hide some bits that are clunkily poking off the toy and, and that kind of thing. Whereas these, as you say, like they've just made a CGI monstrosity and I was like, good luck, toy makers. <laughs> I personally don't like them. Because there aren't many of them, are there? We've got Optimus Prime. We've got Bumblebee, who we've already met. You know, they're on the posters. And then rounding out the Autobots, we have Jazz, who has three lines of dialogue before he's ripped in half. Ratchet, who inexplicably is yellow or sort of neon green ridiculous and ironhide who is kind of black and gray um, but they, they they have pulled big names yeah those the that, autobots if you told me ahead of time that your autobots are prime b jazz ironhide and ratchet i'm like cool that, that's a solid group you like, s- no, maybe maybe not quite like top five autobot transformers I mean, ever a starting five is, is is it's solid as a starting five if you're then going to bring in the likes of a hot rod later and the many many others yeah it's a solid group but like jazz just has just very racially charged dialogue <laughs> yes which will be a recurrent problem in these bay movies yeah. where the funniest thing in the world to michael bay seems to be jive talk jive talk <laughs> Or homoerotic tension between yes. straight people. Yes, absolutely. Or like like homoerotic miscalculations, like misinterpretations by by on on straight people are yeah. uh, two recurrent jokes. I mean, he obviously also has a penchant for like like toilet humor. We will yeah. we will get to a movie in which Bumblebee's oil cap comes, or like not oil cap, like petrol cap comes off, <laughs> and he pisses and he... on John Totoro. Yes, stop lubricating on him. So like jazz iconically voiced by Scatman Crothers in the in the cartoon. Like so it's not like There's no history here. There, there are like levels here, you know? <laughs> like to to have an iconic voice actor who is black and like jazz is like the most au fait with Earth culture is one thing. To then bring in Darius McCrary and just just call them bitches and like <laughs> like has no character. It's like, well that's kinda rough. And then they will make the decision later to rip him in half when he is, like, one of the half dozen to ten Autobots that are, like, remotely interesting and popular. And they're like, nah, fuck it. Rip him in half. We won't need to bring him back. Like, you were taught this lesson in the animated movie decades earlier where they killed everybody and kids freaked the fuck out. And they're like, huh. We didn't think they would be attached to the Transformers. The Lesson thing is, learned. here though, I don't think anyone has any time to get attached to Jazz in this well, movie. Well, yeah, if you're a new audience, is... you you don't know that Jazz is meant to be a big deal, but it is a giant middle finger to G1 fans. And that's the thing is, because I think this was my first like proper Transformers experience. Like, sure. obviously, I knew like the main characters and stuff like that, but I think this was my like 
obviously I did the thing where like I'm I'm 15 years old and this movie comes out. I'm gonna do a Google and try and figure out like who the big Transformers are. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> they've got like the big deal names and stuff like that. And it feels like in any other Transformers media, killing off Jazz in your opening yeah. movie pilot, whatever it was, is a statement piece. Yeah. Like that is like, boy, this is not your father's Transformers. Mm. And instead, it's a flippant. We don't give a shit about the robots in this yeah. franchise. It's not that he dies. Like you can absolutely kill popular characters. It's that like the point between you've brought him in and the point he dies. Like there is zero attempt to make him a person or a character that anyone should give a shit about. Like one of the three that rocks up with Optimus that isn't Bumblebee. You know, like. But yeah, I mean that's that's endemic of the whole thing. Megatron fucking gets back on his feet. What like a hundred minutes into the movie, a hundred and ten minutes into the movie, something yeah, like that. Yeah, and like, they haven't even like introduced Starscream really no. until this point. They do a quick montage where they're talking to each other in Cybertronian, and hilariously, like one of them gives the wrong name. Just yeah, like Brawl think... calls himself Devastator, and look, I'm not. I am a giant nerd. Like, but Devastator is quite a <laughs> <laughs> a potent name to drop into this movie. Yes, and just to get it wrong and then know it's wrong, and then to this day the digital version has the wrong subtitle. <laughs> like, come on, these things are fixable in the modern age. Yeah, like that. There, there is no care about anyone, but like Optimus gets to talk all the time. Bumblebee gets to be the sort of fun kid character who talks through his radio, and it's a cool gimmick. They come up with fun ways to make him talk through his radio. I do think there are diminishing returns from this movie onwards, and we'll get into that. And as you said, he probably should have gotten his voice back in, like, Transformers 3 as a big emotional moment. They don't do that. I feel like maybe he talks in, in Last Night. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I feel uh, like yeah, I've no, read last, that. last Night and uh, Dark of the Moon are the two that I've not seen. Okay. So I feel like I've read that maybe he talks in Last Night, but that could just be complete... Bullshit. That'll be a fun re- revelation for us. I know a lot about Last I know Night Hot Rod because... talks with a French accent for reasons that escape everyone. Um... I mean, I know Stanley Tucci plays Merlin. <laughs> yes, because he had so much fun making the fourth one. And I know there's like a Cogsworth or whatever, like Clog- Cogbot, Clockbot or something, uh-huh. who is like an automaton made by Anthony Hopkins. And that's about yep. all my knowledge of, of Last Night. Yeah. But yeah, it is interesting that the the... The Autobots are like, here is, like, if you were to list, like, the top 20 Autobots of all time, you've pl- plucked essentially five characters yeah, that would yeah, probably yeah, pop yeah, yeah. that list. The Decepticons, on the other hand. <laughs> well, yeah. You have Megatron, you have Starscream. Yeah. Well, Megatron do you is, have Starscream, though? <laughs> Megatron is completely sidelined until the very end of this movie. Yeah. And then eventually when he does show up, he's voiced by Hugo Weaving, gets yeah. to be a little bit menacing. Get like They do build up to Megatron yeah. efficiently, if not effectively. He he, he, rap, he rips Jazz in half. Like They're all like, oh no, they can't free Megatron. Everyone's trying to get to Megatron. Cool, all good. But like, could nobody on the Decepticon side have been talking up to now? Yeah. Right. Then Starscream is obviously the famous number two. Like mm-hmm. The entire... Like the juice of the Decepticons is Starscream is trying to wrestle control of the Decepticons yeah. from Megatron. Just a conniving little bitch. Like, yeah. like the the greatest. And instead um, he speaks in Cybertronium for a bit, yeah. turns into a jet in like one shot and then disappears at the end of the movie. He, like, he is the final shot, he flies off into space. And it's like, and it's like 
but you kind of just did the thing where both Megatron and Starscream are jets, so when you have a jet fly off, and none of them are colourful like they are in the cartoon, <laughs> that's just a fucking jet. That could have been Megatron. Um, but then every other Decepticon, apart from one, mm-hmm. is kind of an also-ran. I mean, that is a bit of a Decepticon thing in general. There is a kind of revolving door of these medium-level heavies like Barricade, who just, you know, they are there to be like, yeah, they'll kick the shit out of them a bit and then we can kill them and it's fine. Like, there there are big Decepticon names and, like, Soundwave is coming, Shockwave is coming. They're clearly pocketing them for a future movie. But, like, yeah, it does mean... But it's, it's more like to to use one of those names that could hold a movie like a Scorponok. Yeah, but this isn't Scorponok, Scorponok. No, I know. It's or Beast Wars Scorponok. This is a third type of Scorponok. It's just bizarre that, like, they've chosen these names, and obviously I understand, like, but, like, could have been fun if you had, like... Obviously, I understand. They're holding Predacons, and they're holding, uh, like, the Constructicons and the, the Stunticons and all those other different things. Ah. Like, they're holding all of those back because th- those mean something to people. But it yeah. is weird to just, just how how personalityless this you, movie you is. You could have had Starscream and his 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 group of dudes, his um the Seekers. The seekers, yes, not to be confused with the sweeps. Yes, the Seekers who are like the 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 royal guard, the like creme de la creme of Decepticons, Starscream is their leader. They all look the same but with a different colour decal. There's enough personality between them and like while they're trying to get Megatron back online, Starscream's in charge like do something with that and like have him like well should i bring megatron back online or should i just like... i think that's the thing is like because this movie has spent so much time on the humans obviously we've got to a point now in the movie where like once once they've met the autobots and the autobots have kind of like destroyed the outside well, we, we have the, to do the, the like the, the like oh let's sneak around and do clumsy sex humor and like what you masturbating in there and like why are you so dirty and he's like because i'm a child <laughs> I think it's. I think this scene is like the closest Bay gets to like landing, like a really technically impressive thing. I'm just imagining mm-hmm. like obviously we are a ways away from kind of like everyone's hard on for single take stuff, but there is some stuff where you're like, boy, imagine if you were like whipping in and out the house as you're like watching the parents just miss the Transformers and stuff like that, and that's kind of like the yeah. vibe of the scene, but it is like again, it, it's kind of technically impressive and the kind of thing that I can imagine would have been fun in a more stripped-down movie, but this is kind I of... I just wish they were more colourful and solid to make yeah, that yeah, land yeah. even more. <laughs> but it feels like it's this hard left turn at this point where you've just had the barricade scene of, yeah, like, actually yeah, yeah, quite yeah. harrowing, and now it's like, look at the Autobots, all so clumsy, and it's like, I feel like yeah. they wouldn't be this clumsy in this situation, but, like, they're destroying the fountain, like, ripping up the garden, yeah. not listening to, like, hanging out and hiding. Like, yeah. surely it's easier if... They, like, and just, like, the... The Michael Bay fetish for an out-of-place comedy that's incredibly broad, but obviously is something that he's got juice for, because it is visually dynamic, if confusing, at the point in the movie it takes place in. Yeah, like, ultimately the scene kind of ends with Sector 7 showing up, don't they? Yeah, so John Turturro arrives, like, he captures them, they escape, and then he just captures them again, so we've sort of just wasted ten minutes and done the scene where he strips to his underwear and he's got, like, a kind of custom vest that is styled like a sports jersey but is like a middle-aged man white vest and he's got his fucking patterned giant boxers and his garter and it's like oh look man is wearing silly clothes um and bumblebee pisses on him 
they capture Bumblebee, they all end up at the Hoover Dam. It takes 95 minutes for us to get all three of these groups of people to the Hoover Dam. And like at the beginning, they're moving between our three groups of uh, our soldiers, our teenagers, and our hackers quite quickly. And then they just forget about <laughs> two-thirds of them for ages. And then they're like, oh shit, sorry. Here are the other two. Right, back to Sam. And then, But even then, like when they introduce... So like we've got these six characters or seven when you include John Boyd in that group as well that you've been mm. cutting between and then they introduce two more with Michael O'Neill and John <laughs> Turturro from Sector 7 yeah. and like they're in charge of this and we're now going to go into this government agency where again the movie's going to like we've already had a lot of info dumping and the movie's now going to go like right and now we need to introduce the fact that like all of human technology is derived from Megatron yep they reverse engineered Megatron. They do didn't the... make guns though, and give those to third world countries. Although I feel like no. that would have been obviously their comics are going to do that in a couple of years. But I feel like the, like yeah. these movies could have made some juice from <laughs> actually all U.S. foreign involvement has been distributing possessed guns to the yeah. Middle East or whatever. We don't have Rampage working for North Korea or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, and they do the thing where they turn a phone into a tiny, kind of cute little murder bot that's firing teeny tiny little rockets and stuff like that um very weird that like they turn this on and its immediate thing is to be kill <laughs> yeah like, this isn't they didn't make well i mean maybe it's because they're using megatron and megatron is inherently evil but right there is a kind of subtext that all cybertronians want to do is blow shit up yeah and then <sighs> they they yeah. kill they kill the little murder murder robot that they've just made a little bit inhumanely, it feels like. Mm -hmm. But secretly, in like the Michaela's mobile phone has been replaced by the weird frenzy robot. Yes. And basically, this kicks off kind of like the final act of the movie where the Allspark oh. and Megatron are being stored in the same place. The Allspark is huge, but will become <laughs> small. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, and then they're like, right, we need to go to a place... We need to get it out of here and hide yeah. it in the city where people are. Right, but they have an extraction team coming to meet them that they're nebulously trying to get to. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have a fight in the city. I don't I don't understand what the end game of this plan is. It's like it was in one safe place and now we need to take it somewhere. To so a more heavily populated safe place. Because it's not even it's not even like the Autobots have the Ark on Earth. Because the Autobots have shown up out of fucking up, they've just descended sans any protection whatsoever from the Earth's atmosphere in balls of flame, mm -hmm. crashed on Earth, picked up some like random cars. Like the first cars they saw were like, "This is my identity now." Yeah, I'm all about this. This is yeah, me. They don't have a spaceship, even though again in the in the cartoons, the comics, the Cybertronians do travel around space in spaceships because yes. the people even though they... <laughs> like come on. People want to sit on a ship. That's because the Autobots have no say over what happens to the Allspark. There's no plan for what the Autobots are going to do with this. Nope. No, I like they're not dictating. Like we need to get it to X location where Ratchet can like do something with it or anything. There's like, like a throwaway line about how they could use it to like restore Cybertron to be livable again. Right, but what is their plan to get off Earth? Oh, oh, I, I know. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, you can see a version where it's like, right, they're all coming for the Allspark, and that's also where Megatron is. We can't let them get to Megatron, so let's lead the Spark away so they don't get to Megatron. But, like, Megatron's out at this point. Like, you're fucked. He flies, and he murders. <laughs> like, 
so it's yeah, like, just them driving it to a place to do a thing and they don't care what that is yeah and that's the thing is i think it it's just it's got big mid-2000s blockbuster brain yeah 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 yeah, yeah. where there is this like we need to get to the act three face off no matter how we're going to get the. Act we've three got this scripted don't worry about how we get there yeah don't worry about it. But there's also a level of flippancy for the source material. And obviously, I, I also do think that the tendency we've had over the last 15 years to be so beholden to the source material has been a net negative. Yeah, yeah. You, you, can, you can diverge. I'm not a person who's like, if you change what they turn into or, you know... I, you look at something like X-Men First Class where they make Mystique, um, Professor X's, like, surrogate sister. Enormous change of continuity works in the movie don't yeah. have a problem with it I, like on on a on a bandwidth from like something that's so beholden to continuity like the the fucking harry potter movies <laughs> to the super mario brothers movie from the 90s mm. like we're kind of operating on that scale yeah and transformers has got this because it's coming in the wake of the dominant form of blockbuster in the early 2000s which is superhero movies at this point obviously on a smaller scale to what we've had where like superhero movies have destroyed culture (laughs) but you were coming into this where the stuff you're coming from is the the raimi spider-man movies Mm -hmm. and the x-men movies and whatnot where there is a tendency to kill off characters who are like major parts of the soap opera-ness of these superhero movies and stuff like that where like green goblin will die in the first spider-man movie dr octopus will die in the first yeah, you want and so done. You don't, you don't bank on making six of these things. Yeah, exactly. And so what this movie does is it invests no time in any of the villains, mm-hmm. and ultimately is going to end with Megatron being dead and dropped on the bottom of the ocean. And obviously, they will realize this is a mistake for the sequel, but it does feel like there is like they are genuinely thinking this will be a one and done. We're not going to like plan for any franchise-ness of this whatsoever. And because of that, there's no point in developing any of this any of this stuff beyond the most surface level interpretation of what we can do. Even if we're going to hire Hugo Weaving to voice this character, there's no yeah, point investing um, anything into him other than him being a hulking big thing. Because all we need him to do is smack some other characters around for 20 minutes at the end, yeah. whilst we show off how good ILM special effects are. Yeah, like notably, they bring back Peter Cullen as Optimus. Michael Bay does not care for Frank Welker, the the original voice of Megatron. Uh, so they get Hugo Weaving, who is you know decent, but like they don't really wield that they've got Hugo Weaving, and we'll end up with Frank Welker again, and it just all feels a bit pointless. But like, yeah, this stretch of the movie is just like this is where my mind goes whenever I think of these fucking movies, where you just have two lumps of silver rolling around together. And I guess one of them's a bit red and blue. I don't know who's winning. Oh, wait, only one of them's standing now. Cool. Like, I don't know who's doing what to who, who's winning, like, how they're doing it. it. It's, like, impossible to define what's happening. And obviously, they do settle down into... Jazz is, like, ripped apart haphazardly (laughs) out of nowhere. (laughs) He rips his leg off. And And then he's like, do you want a piece of me? I mean, he says, no, I want two. You already had two because you ripped (laughs) his leg off. And then he rips him in half. But then also, Jazz is, like, tiny in comparison to Megatron. Yeah. Like, this isn't like they're on the same size in terms of stuff. And, like, most of the robots in this movie have been... I mean, Prime is bigger than the other Autobots. He is. Um, Ironhide, I think, is close. But, like, B is... B is, like, defined by being the little one that is, like, only, like, twice the height of a human in the cartoon. Whereas the others are, like, 
four to five times bigger than a person. But yeah. Um... Again, I mean, like the sense of scale in these movies will forever be an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll just um, decide, like, you know, how big they are at random almost. Um, and, you know, in the midst of all this, it's the generic shit. It's like Michaela has her moment where she looks around in slow motion and, like, there's a random survivor and oh the here come the soldiers and Josh Dumel like does a power slide on a bike that I have to assume in one draft was RC who was cut from the movie because Michael Bay didn't like motorbikes or something like that. He didn't he didn't think motorbikes looked cool and also didn't want to deal with the idea of right. gender in Transformers. Right. I'm not a car person. But generally speaking, bikes are cooler than cars. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, but you, Michael Bay likes big. <laughs> Michael Bay likes big American muscle cars. That's the, yeah, um, that is the thing. Yeah, a bunch of bullshit happens. Some like, transformers again, die. Yeah, like... but, and obviously, all of this is kind of like voided by. I mean, and this is an issue across all Transformers media, mm-hmm. where it's very hard to drum. <laughs> what up... is death? <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to drum up tension where. You can have characters be ripped in half, and then they'll be fine the next issue. Like, yeah, they but are... we'll we'll find a very fun way to deal with that in our next episode. <laughs> no, I know, I know. Well, I mean, not our next one, but like, you know, the person that does a fucked up thing is in the next episode, and then they will eventually do a very fucked up thing. Yes. Anyway, yeah, yeah, lots yeah, of the, death. I- the idea of death in Transformers is a very nebulous, nebulous thing. Yeah, and so like. All of these characters in the co- in the comics are, or comics or cartoons are probably survivable. I mean, it's a comic book thing in general, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, like, Captain America's died at least three times. <laughs> like... Exactly, but, but like I think Transformers is that on steroids. Where, oh like, yeah, because I mean, what does it mean when you can blow their head off and they're not dead? Like, because that thing is because <laughs> that he rips Jazz in half and like yeah. doesn't do anything. What would appear to like his head or his spark or anything like that? He just rips him half and then kind of like throws them off the building. I don't believe he will ever be back though. So he will I, not. He will I not. think that is a death that sticks, but along then, with like, uh, like brawl is killed and blackout is killed. Yeah, I think ev- all the bone crusher is killed. All yeah. the Decepticons die in this final fight, apart from Starscream. Yeah. And Scorponok, who was just kind of like fucked he just off, scurried off. But he will also never be seen again, so he might as well be dead. But until the trailer for Rise of the Rise of the Beasts, but, but is this the same Scorponok? Almost definitely not. But anyway, like Bumblebee, like <laughs> loses his legs and is dragged along by like yeah. uh, by a tow truck, and like, but it's like, isn't that not a very similar injury yeah. to what <laughs> just happened to Jazz? Meanwhile, what we've decided at this point is that like the juice is watching Sam run around as like explosions go off around him until he decides to shove the all spark into Megatron. Yeah. Which for reasons kill- Yeah, which kills Megatron. <laughs> and also makes it useless. So it's like they gave away their their chance to restore their world to kill Megatron, only knowing that Megatron will come back later. And like Optimus like offers for him to shove it into his chest for some like that thing is like we know it's going to kill him and that but I don't know what it will do if they do it like I, th- I guess he's just trying to fall on the grenade and be like well it'll get rid of it won't it and then Megatron can't use it for evil it's like yeah but he can fucking kill everyone if you're not alive <laughs> like, well then surely if you shove that into Cybertron it'll destroy Cybertron if that's what <sighs> this thing does Michael Bay was never going to Cybertron who who gives a shit yeah like, and then and then the movie's over and like there is Link- some fun stuff like them deciding to dump all the corpses of the Decepticons at the bottom of the Laurentian tra- abyss <laughs> yeah. is a fun idea pretty cool 
pretty cool. Like, this is where the most high-pressure yeah. experience of, like, all of Earth is. When we go there in the next movie, they're just kind of at the bottom of, like, generic ocean, like, with light and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's like, like no, why is he not, not, like... That's not what you said in that first movie. Why is he not crushed into, like, a tiny cube when you've dropped him at the bottom yeah. of this? That's what they say. Like, the crushing pressure and the cold, should, you know, even they will be killed by it. And they disband Sector 7, and they play Linkin Park. Extending <laughs> of any movie. Like, again... Like Michaela and Sam are making out on the hood of Bumblebee. Yeah. Weird. Weird that they know he is a sentient creature. Yeah. I mean, the... a, an hour earlier, she didn't want to sit in the driver's seat anymore because he's driving. <laughs> Which um, the the other Autobots are like chilling around them and all the rest of it. So it's all all well and good there. And then Optimus we... is like, "Hey, look, Cybertron's lost forever. Everyone, come here." Yeah. And, and then... then Starscream flies off and is alive, and that's it. Yeah. I. <laughs> This is the good one. Yep. <laughs> it's so bad. I know you've got to get out of here soon, but like, I just think, in general, like, I think ignoring the part where they handle the CG blending decently, I, I can't stand how fucking sweaty and gross and blue and yellow everything looks. I sent you a screenshot of, like, Sam and Michaela, like, just covered in soot and sweat, but obviously Michaela's, like, makeup has to be perfect, because otherwise, so help me God. I just can't stand it. And this is how a lot of action movies looked for a while. It's not, like, J.J. Lens flare everywhere. It, it's it's an era before that. But, like, I do think this did kind of infect, like, Mission Impossible 3 a bit as well. And you would see it in... I don't know. We just went through this era where everything was kind of bluey-yellow. And everyone was really sweaty and dirty and really poorly lit. I can't yeah, I mean, again, I'm <laughs> I'm looking at like the the big movies of this year, and all all like the blockbusters is like Spider Man Three, mm-hmm. I Am Legend, Pirates of the Caribbean Three, yeah. National Treasure, Transformers, Live Free or Die Hard, Trek the Third. It's not a good year for this kind of movie. No. And then on the smaller scale, people are doing things like Sunshine and Zodiac, mm. and like Born Ultimatum is probably the best pure action movie of the year and whatnot. Like Hollywood is on the verge of tr- attempting to get somewhere else and at least whilst these movies are going to carry on making a lot of money and each one successively is going to make more than the last one until the fourth or the fifth one. I forget which one starts to fall off a cliff. Like they do not become the visual template for the decade. Luckily the technical advances do become in some ways, but I feel like we've like star Wars and other things are kind of like more hefting that thing. Whereas this is more of a pure technical flex. Yeah. It it, it gets nominated at the, at the Oscars for, for sound editing and visual effects. And, you know, it does decently, you know, it's like the fifth highest grossing movie of the year. And it, it, it's got like mixed soft, positive reviews kind of thing. And I think word of mouth was, was decent. Like, Oh, Hey, that Transformers movie is good. But we're about to go to a very dark place. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> to follow it up. <laughs> yes, the follow up to this movie is One my least favorite blockbuster it's, of the two thousand. It's so so bad. Um, I might, as a promise, not next episode, but two episodes from now, read some excerpts from my soft positive review I wrote <laughs> at seventeen years old that still exists on the internet. And if you if you if you can find it before this, like much applause because it does exist. My mm-hmm. name is attached to it, so I might read of the next episode. movie. Yeah, that's so funny because like I distinctly remember my I was talking to a friend after seeing the second one, 
And I was like, oh yeah, it fixes loads of problems in the first. And I'm like, what were you talking about, Matt? <laughs> yeah, I, I want to find this review because I think I it, it's like a, it is only like a three star review, but it is like, again, a soft positive review of this movie, yeah. which now I'm like one star, like dear Lord, this thing is yeah, yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. atrocious. Real, real um, well, before we do that, our next episode, the, the good half of the podcast, uh, we will crack open some pages of James Roberts' More Than Meets the Eye. We are reading the first eight issues, which are collected into the first two volumes of Trade Paperbacks. Yeah, so if you would like to read along with us, you have until next week to yes. read those eight issues. I strongly so, encourage you to do so yeah, if you I never have you... before. If you are just not a comic book person... We will do our best to kind of give you the big narrative beats and hopefully it sounds interesting and we can convince you to read them. I promise you it's super fucking good. Yeah, we might even do like uh, take a crib from uh, Explain the X-Men uh, or, or JMR's Explain the X-Men where they include like a visual diary or like a visual like reference for like certain panels that we sure. bring up and stuff like that because we'll have the issues in front of us when Absolutely. we're reading this and also just be clear like if you buy I don't, I don't know if volume one and volume two are still available because idw lost the transformers license it did. um so it might be difficult to to pick up digitally now but like i i think they do still are floating around and whatnot there um, are ways does... to get them for sure yes um... and and those include death of optimus as well as the as the other eight issues which yeah. is the the coda point from the end of the previous iteration of the yeah. comics you don't yeah like if you're reading along with us and you're worried about continuity every version of the trade i think includes death, death of optimus, optimus prime but you can you can start from there and issue one and just don't worry about it we'll fill you in where we can you don't need to read the hundreds of issues that ben and i have been reading <laughs> to start the podcast i'm having a great time no you're not don't lie but you're about to be so there's that uh, yep. But that is next time. This has been Transformers 2007. I kiss goodbye to us sounding so positive in a podcast where we sounded pretty fucking negative. I don't. I'm 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 having fun talking about these yeah, things just yeah, because yeah, I can yeah. throw things at you and like we can talk about Transformer physiology and like get into like what are the big Decepticons and stuff like that. But that's the juice of where this is going. I've been Matt Waters. You have been Ben Phillips. Thank you for Thank talking you. about Transformers with me and uh, audience roll out. This is why, why we fight, why we lay awake. This is why, this is why we fight. When we die, we will die with our arms unbound. Why, this is why we fight. So come to me, come to me now.